This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Join Justin Townsend and the Harvesting Nature crew as they explore the world of cooking wild fish and game while sharing recipes, tips, tricks, and lessons learned from their pursuit of wild food. We sure hope you ate before the show, because you're going to leave hungry. This is the Wild Fish and Game Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to... uh Harvest of Nature's Wild Fishing Game Podcast. You got your host here, Justin Townsend. Today, uh, having a, a really fun chat with a, a friend and guest. Uh, we last hung out at uh, BHA's Rendezvous so and uh, shared some delicious wild cocktails. And uh, I don't mean that in a party sense. Uh, I mean that more uh, comprised of some wild foraged ingredients, which we're going to spend a lot of time talking about that this evening. But um, first through, I'm going to go through a bit of news myself. So um, let's see. So most recently for me, it's been kind of a, a down week here. Uh, just enjoying some time with the family. Got the 4th of July holiday coming up and try to get out and do some some more fishing here. And uh, been doing uh, a bit of foraging here and there, but really focusing on on taking care of the garden because the temperatures have been up and down here in Denver, which is causing a little bit of undue stress to my plants. So trying to take care of that, but all things good. I would say, uh, we're also cranking away in the, I would say final couple of weeks of our, uh, summer, sorry. Yep. Summer magazine design, uh, which we're shooting for July, uh, for our release date. So probably towards the end of July, but nonetheless, uh, is, is a reminder to everyone that's coming out electronic version and print on demand. And then we're expanding the number of, uh, 
uh, newsstand apps that we're being featured on. So currently working through that, and we'll, we'll let you know uh, what changes are taking place there. And then uh, if you've been paying attention, Adam Berkelman's took over the Antler and Finn podcast and uh, has been doing a great job there, uh, sharing some of his favorite recipes off the Harvesting Nature website. So that's kind of a, a, a pause and play walkthrough of recipes he gets in a little bit of the culinary history behind some of the inspiration of those dishes but it's a it's a neat show it's like you know five six minutes per recipe and and you can cook your way through it if you don't want to stare at a screen or a cookbook uh you can just listen listen to it uh and then also too our our wild fish blend should be coming out here soon if it's not already out by the time you hear this but uh that's a, a really great uh wild fish blend uh, for spices that we've we tested out and uh, really proud to be rolling out to everybody and I tell you I've tested on everything salmon trout uh, tuna some lighter colored fish I've done uh, I've tested on halibut tested on uh, a variety of saltwater fish and a variety of freshwater fish and I'm pretty happy with where we landed with it so uh, excited for that and then as always uh, if you've seen the news we're still having our our pig camp in December so if you want to jump in on that uh, come visit with us down in Texas uh, for four or so days to learn to uh, shoot hunt butcher process and cook wild pigs uh, we're going to be hosting that December 8th through the 11th so please Come on down for that. Sign-ups are open now, and the spots are filling up very quickly. But also, too, it's been a while since we've done this. We, we did reviews for hats for a while, and uh, anytime we'd get a, a review that really stood out to us, we'd uh, read it on air and have the person write in with their address and their selection of hat off our website, and we'd give one away. So that's exactly what we're going to do right now. So we got a review that came in here recently. Excuse me. It came in on uh, Apple Podcast, and it was uh, written by Finding Execs Giving, uh, which is an interesting name. Uh, but they, they say, thanks for everything is their heading. I'm a newish hunter, and I love finding out new ways of eating and getting wild game. I love this podcast. It's very informative and haven't found or seen anything like this podcast. Keep it up. So uh, Finding Execs Giving, hopefully... Uh, you have another name too. If not, we can write that on the envelope as well. But uh, shoot us an email over at what's cooking at harvestnature.com uh, with your preferred hat off the website and your shipping address, and we'll get one in the mail to you. So super excited! Thanks for that. That helps us in the the realm of uh, of growth on on Apple Podcasts there. But I think with all that aside, I want to make sure that we have ample time to chat through our topic tonight. So I'm going to go ahead and introduce our guest here. So our guest is a hunter, angler, cook, cocktail maker extraordinaire. That's a that's a new title you should put on your business card, Jamie, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you follow him on social media, you'll have seen uh, his many wild food-inspired cocktails. Uh, he's also an outstanding outdoor writer, crafting stories about foraging, hunting, fishing, and all things wild food. Um, column for Outdoor Life and then on the website Modern Carnivore. Jamie Carlson, welcome to the Wild Fishing Game Podcast. Thanks, Justin. Yeah, super happy. Like this has been a year in the making since we uh yeah. since we we chatted <clears throat> last year at Rendezvous, and uh, I'm glad we were able to get it get it done uh, get it scheduled and on the books too. So it was also great running into you again this year at the Field to Table Dinner first uh, with those it was wild a lot of fun. Oh man, what uh, a great event! That setting this year was just so much better than 
mm-hmm. what I'd seen in the past. You know, uh, they've had some good areas, but that like the barn setting with mountain backdrop, the weather was perfect. Uh, it just made everything very easy. Yeah, uh, the food you guys are making was phenomenal. Thank you. Uh, everybody's there just to have a good time and God, I mean, when else do you get to do something like that? You know? Yeah, exactly. And, uh, well, you guys, uh, you guys had quite the, the lineup of cocktails you were making. What all, what all did you guys have there? Uh, so I had put together three cocktails. Uh, uh, I've really become a fan of the Negroni lately. Uh, standard Negroni is just, uh, gin, Campari and vermouth, uh, sweet vermouth. Uh, but as I've really gotten into making the different elements of a cocktail, uh, using wild ingredients, I really wanted to try to find a way to make, uh, different liqueurs, uh, with the, uh, wild ingredients. So, uh, Campari is sort of a, uh, a bitter, uh, bittersweet, uh, liqueur, uh, very red, kind of tastes like Robitussin. Um, so I wanted to figure out how to do that on my own. So I, I figured choke cherries would be the best avenue into that. Uh, choke cherries are kind of have that bitterness to them already. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, my choke cherry liqueur was choke cherries and dandelion root and licorice root and orange peel and rose hips and, uh, cacao nibs and coriander and black pepper. Uh, and the way that came together, it, it really, it very, it was more, it wasn't as bitter as a Campari, mm-hmm. uh, so it was a little less, uh, but it still, uh, it went really well in a Negroni. Uh, and then because we were in Montana and, you know, those people are crazy about huckleberries, uh, <laughs> I figured I'd infuse huckleberries into my Negroni. So uh, I batched together uh, a whole bunch of huckleberry Negronis uh, with the choke cherry liqueur. Uh, and then... Uh, I've really, I, I've just fallen in love with the old fashioned and all of the different forms an old fashioned can take. Uh, so I made a gin old fashioned uh, with gin uh, and then uh, elderflower liqueur. Uh, and then I made a uh, rhubarb and sumac bitters. Yep. Uh, that, which I have uh, some. I have, have some here. Some. Good. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and that's got a real. You know, it's a little, it's got a nice bitter to it, but it's really floral, uh, sort of a citrus flavor to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, the big hit of the night was the black walnut old fashioned. Oh yeah. Uh, and I had done, uh, you know, the black walnut, uh, syrup, uh, and then I had made candied black walnuts, uh, as a garnish and then the black walnut maple bitters. Uh, and then of course the midnight forest bourbon. Oh man. Yeah. And we're going to talk about the, I had the black walnut bitters to talk to a little bit about more in detail. Cause we've talked about how you made it and I want to go over the process yeah. cause I think it's super cool. But, um, before we dig too more deep, can you tell us a little bit about kind of your, your origin story into the outdoors and, and how you got involved in, in the cooking and writing sphere? Well, uh, getting into the outdoors wasn't hard. Uh, my parents, uh, met because their parents, uh, had cabins next door to each other on Leech Lake, uh, in Northern Minnesota. So mm-hmm. all of our summers and a few of our years living up there, uh, were right on the lake. Uh, we had, you know, access to everything. Both grandparents had boats and snowmobiles and all the outdoor stuff and everybody was a fisherman. 
my grandpa just loved duck hunting. He loved deer hunting. Um, I don't know that they really enjoyed eating any of it, mm-hmm. uh, but they, they loved going and doing it. Uh, so, you know, that was just sort of a natural progression for me right into the outdoors and uh, kind of learning and understanding it. But again, the eating element was always hard because, uh, you know, the ducks we used to have were, you know, killed twice, uh, once when you shot them and then once in the <laughs> oven uh, and, you know, dry and stringy. And uh, most most of the venison I ate growing up uh, was either in summer sausage or pepper sticks. Uh-huh. Um, I know a couple of times uh, we had some ground venison that mom would try to use in a spaghetti or a chili, mm-hmm. uh, and it was always bad. And nobody liked it, uh, you know, potent, gamey, kind of nasty flavor. Uh, and not until later in life did I realize that a lot of that just came from the fact that they didn't care for it. You know, my dad would shoot a deer. He'd throw it in a trailer. He'd park it in the garage. Uh, a week to 10 days later, he'd drop it off at a butcher. Uh, and then, you know, six months later, we'd get a call from the butcher that our meat was ready. Uh, <laughs> a lot of time <laughs> yeah and it's just it's just not you know that that sort of process wasn't good so uh you know after high school uh, i was in the navy and i was gone for five four and a half years and then i came home and when i got home i really wanted to get back into hunting uh and you know at the time uh, i really didn't have a lot of i didn't have money i didn't have access uh, so, you know, duck hunting was the easiest thing for me to get into. I, I had a buddy that would take me out with him all the time and, uh, God, we were shooting tons of ducks back then. Uh, and I needed to know how to cook them. So, uh, the internet for some of our younger listeners, uh, the <laughs> internet was new back then. Uh, <laughs> and we were just getting into that sort of stuff. So you could look mm-hmm. stuff up on the internet and, uh, Emeril Lagasse had his show on TV, uh, and I used to watch it all the time. And a lot of his recipes were using, uh, game ingredients, you know, mm-hmm. rabbits and ducks and, uh, turtles and, you know, all sorts of fun things. So, uh, I went and I bought his book, uh, Louisiana Real and Rustic. Uh, and in the book, uh, there's a whole section on ducks. So I tried a whole bunch of the different recipes in there, gumbos and stews and, uh, the one that, uh, you know, just hooked everyone was the duck pastrami, uh, Ooh, very simple thing. brine, yeah. uh, you know, uh, juniper, black pepper crust, smoke them, uh, slice it thin. And, you know, the, in the book, uh, he, you know, slices that duck pastrami up, puts an onion marmalade on there, a little whole grain Creole mustard. And, uh, it just made the best sandwiches anybody had ever tasted. Uh, so all the ducks that we were shooting, I was turning into that and then, uh, read about confit and ended up trying that and all these different duck recipes just led me down this rabbit hole where everybody was, you know, everybody'd come to my house and I'd, I'd you know, Eric Passy and I would shoot a bunch of ducks. We'd put them all together and we'd make pastrami's and we'd do all these other recipes and find different ways to use it all. And God, we were just having the time of our life. So I started thinking maybe I ought to get back into deer hunting and, uh, called some old family friends that we used to hunt on their property and just said, Hey, would it be all right if I came up deer hunting? And went up there and, you know, started shooting a lot of deer and of course still uh, didn't have any money. So I had to learn how to butcher deer myself. And I found that when I shot a deer, 
and butchered a deer, uh, the meat was just a lot better. Uh, and you know, wasn't, wasn't as afraid of medium rare, you know, venison, uh, or rare venison or raw venison in some situations. So I found that all those recipes that were out there and the way you were able to cook and use all these things, it just got better and better as it went on. And then it almost became a game. You know, uh, I love shooting squirrels as a kid, but of course nobody ever cooked them for me. I love shooting grouse. Uh, so I started doing all that. And then, you know, the, the only way I'd ever eaten fish in my entire life was, you know, dredged and saltine crackers and deep fried. And then, you know, started finding out that there's other ways to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, really, really back, uh, you know, it was late nineties, early two thousands, uh, really started to get into it. Uh, started having people over cooking for them all the time, really just enjoying all of it and, you know, food is just such a wonderful way to, you know, relate with people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, everybody tell you the same story. Uh, my wife would tell me the same one, too. When she and I got together, I told her I was going to cook her venison one night. She says, yeah, I don't like venison. And I said, well, you haven't had to cook right. She said, well, that's what my last boyfriend said. And he cooked it right. It tasted terrible. Uh, and I just, I said to my wife, I, at the time, I probably had... I don't know, 50 or 75 cookbooks. And I just said, uh, well, honey, in every single one of these cookbooks, uh, at the end of every recipe, it says, none of them say, when finished, tastes like shit. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, I mean, if, if, if you had something that tasted bad, it wasn't the recipe. It was the process. Yep. So figuring out that process and figuring out that, you know, uh, not, for me, not aging meat back then. Because, you know, here in northern Min- or Minnesota, at least, you know, a lot of people talk about how you have to age venison. Uh, and when they talk about aging venison, they mean hanging it in the garage for a few days uh, before they butcher it. Uh, most people's garages are not temperature or humidity controlled. No. Uh, so, you know, aging it that way is not good. Most people skin their deer and hang them in the garage. Uh, skinning a deer just dries the outside out. So right off the bat, you're losing some meat because mm-hmm. you're going to have to trim. Uh, any fat that you leave on there goes bad very quickly and then taints the meat. So, I mean, there's just all these things that, you know, not everybody understands. Uh, so, you know, my wife and I, uh, I cooked her venison. She enjoyed it. It was wonderful. All of a sudden, we, I had plenty of it. We were eating it a lot more. Uh, and everybody kept saying the same thing. No, I don't like that. I just, I kept telling everybody, well, you have to cook it. Uh, so then a buddy of mine, uh, God, 2008 ish, maybe, uh, says to me, you know, Jamie, you should really start writing these recipes down. Have you ever thought about blog? I was like, what's a blog? Uh, and he told me, so, Mm -hmm. uh, I, I went to blogger, uh, and started an account and, started a blog called you have to cook it right uh and started playing around with everything and then it just got to be a game you know uh, anything and everything anybody ever came to me with i was like yeah i'll try it let's just hedgehogs uh raccoons squirrels turtles it didn't seem to matter i was just i was eager to try everything to see if it was possible to cook it, uh in a way that people would enjoy it uh and what i found out was uh if you turn anything into a taco, people will eat it. 
Oh, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, all the different barbacoas and carnitas and everything else that you can do with meats, you know, you could you could take a dead skunk off the side of the road and barbacoa, uh, and it would probably be edible. You know, so, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it, it's a pretty easy process. Uh, so you know, I started the blog and was doing stuff on there, and uh, I had written. I, I wanted to get better at, it. so I was talking to my wife, and she was telling me that there's a literary center downtown where it's not like a school, but you can go and you can take classes. So we went and we looked and they had a uh, blogging uh, class. So I went and I took this blogging class and I was learning about it. And, uh, the lady who taught the blogging class was the editor for a uh, local food blog called Simple, Good and Tasty. Uh, and Simple, Good and Tasty's you know, main forum was sustainable, you know, renewable, uh, local, uh, all the buzzwords of the day. Uh, and she thought that hunting and foraging kind of fit into that. Mm -hmm. So she asked me if I'd be interested in writing for them. And I said, sure. So once a month I'd do an article for them. and uh, did that for a couple of years. And then, uh, I had gone, I had grown up, you know, my grandpa had told me, you know, we had coots everywhere and I always wanted to shoot a couple of coots. And my grandpa, of course, told me they were inedible and terrible and you know, no point in shooting them because we can't eat them. So at this point in my life, I was like, well, shit, I got to try coots now. So I shot a whole bunch of them and tried them every different way you could possibly think of and uh, ended up making a uh, northern Italian sausage called uh, Cotechino, uh, but uh, ended up, of course, calling it Cotechino. <laughs> uh, and uh, it, it worked really well. Uh, so I wrote an article for Simple Good and Tasty about that. And, uh, Outdoor Life ended up reading that and calling me and we're like, hey, We've got a, an article about uh, eating different swamp birds and uh, kind of the lesser edible ducks. Would you mind if we used your recipe? I said, no, go right ahead. So they did. And then shortly after that, an editor over at Outdoor Life called and said they were thinking about starting an online blog called Cast Iron Chef. Wanted to know if I'd be interested in doing a weekly contribution. I was like, yeah. So I did that for a few years. And then you know, uh, print media sort of went by the way, uh, the dodo bird. So, uh, everything started getting cut back there and everything was gone. So I was doing good on, you have to cook it right. And still maintaining all that. And then, uh, I had met Mark Norquist over at modern carnivore, uh, in those years as well. And he had been asking if I'd be interested in writing for him. And I'm not much for technology and I don't know a whole lot about running a website. Uh, you know, none of it was making me any money. So, uh, it, it seemed like a good fit to just start writing for Mark because then he could maintain the website and do all that stuff. And all I had to do was focus on what I enjoyed, which was the, uh, storytelling and the cooking and the hunting, foraging and fishing. And then, uh, you know, Mark and I decided one year to go to this backcountry hunters and anglers rendezvous. And we, uh, we entered a cooking contest out there. Had a good time. Uh, of all things, I cooked that uh, duck pastrami, uh, and uh, we did just fine and had fun with it. And then the BHA kind of caught on to what I was doing. Asked me a number of years if I'd come out and do the field to table dinner, mm -hmm. uh, and it didn't work out for the first couple of years. And then the pandemic hit, and when that went away, I finally got to go out and cook for the uh, the field to table dinner. And then this year they asked me if I'd come back and do the cocktail thing. So. That kind of gets me right to where I'm at. 
Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. What a great, uh, that's a great path through it all. Um, well, and I think it's a great path just because it, none of it's forced, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm a full-time nurse. I work at the VA here in Minneapolis. And, uh, I don't have to worry about it. And uh, it's sort of been, it's not a profitable uh, way of thinking about it, but I just get to enjoy doing what I want to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I feel like doing more, I do more. When I don't have time, I don't have time. Uh, but it doesn't stop the creative part uh, and the interesting parts for me. Yeah. You know, uh, for a long time, you know, finding these new flavors and seeing where you can fit wild game in, and, you know, looking at all the different, you know, popular dishes, you know, at one point in time, everything was wild. So if mm-hmm. you follow every recipe back to its origin, it was probably wild. Uh, and I'm just bringing that stuff back into it. No, it's great. Cause I, I look back, like I've looked at, uh, some of the, like Escoffier cookbooks, like some of the original, you know, cookbooks oh, yeah. and like, they're just, they're full of wild game. And it's crazy to think is that like in that time, like that's what they're serving in like some of the top restaurants in the world. Like they're relying on game stuff. And then, as we see the evolution, you know, you mentioned like Emeril Lagasse, and and for those who don't know Emeril, you know, very world renowned chef, uh, very big culinary career in New Orleans, and um, like still cooking foundationally like game dishes, which are you know have have shaped modern American cuisine, I would argue, um, but yet not a lot of folks get out and do it anymore. Not as many as that should, which I think uh, I think that 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 intersection between food and, and getting back outdoors is like, that's the growth point, uh, I think o- over the years. And I think it, it'll continue to be for sure. Oh yeah. And I mean, that's the model of most of these businesses today. Anyway, most of these outdoor businesses, every single one of them is trying to find a food element. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, if you go to, you know, Browning and look at their website, they've got recipes on their website. Oh yeah, you know, uh, and it's it's because everybody eats, everybody loves food, and it doesn't matter what they're selling, you know. Yep, I, I think that's true. Like you, you strip away, you strip away the brand names, you strip away. Um, and I'm an upland game hunter, and my waterfowl hunter, and my deer hunter, and my fisherman, and my you know, a spear fisherman, whatever. Like you strip all those things away, and the commonality is the food. I think it, it, yeah. at the end of the day, yeah. like that speaks all the different types of outdoor activities for sure. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So what uh what, what uh recipes you working on now? What you got in the in the freezer? You got in the hopper ready to go? <laughs> uh, so this year I had probably well absolutely not probably I had my best morel season ever. Ooh. Uh, you know I have tried my whole life to find morels, uh, and most years like on a good year in the past I'd find ten or twelve. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm just not looking in the right spots or I'm too early or I'm too late or I just, I'm in the wrong spot. Uh, and this year, uh, I found 55 murals. Holy smokes. Uh, so I, I actually had some to play with, uh, and some to just go to town and eat. Uh, and you know, I've never had enough to actually play around with. I've always had limited amount that I had to figure out how to spread out in the biggest way possible. And usually that was risotto. Mm-hmm. You know, you get some ramps, you get some morels, you make a risotto, you feed the whole family, you got a good meal. Uh, Seth Chokey, uh recommended I tried a fried recipe he sent me, uh, so I tried that. It was good. Uh, you know, I did uh, a cream sauce, uh, a morel and shallot cream sauce that I put on omelets. Uh, it was, you know, delicious. Uh, I ended up using a whole bunch of uh, morels in different butters. Uh, you know, I did a bourbon and morel butter. Uh, uh, morel and ramp butter, uh, and then I took uh, morels and dehydrated them, and then powdered them, uh, and mixed them with salt. Uh, so I've got like a morel salt uh, to season things with. Uh, you know, so that's been fun. Uh, throughout the pandemic, uh, we kind of got into watching a show on Hulu, uh, Jamie Oliver show. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a five ingredient recipe thing, and I was ordered the book of course had to read through it and then as soon as i looked at it i was like god every single recipe in there you can substitute wild ingredients for you know he's got a mushroom pasta that's five ingredients and simple as hell so you know i have hen of the woods chicken of the woods uh i had all the morels i had you know the uh the pheasant backs i had all these mushrooms in the freezer so making them with that and then fish cakes with all the different fish I got in the freezer. You know, we had a good season on whitefish and pike this year. So I got tons of those in the freezer, tons of sunfish. Uh, I had crayfish that we trapped. Uh, he had a, uh, uh, fish pie, uh, sort of a shepherd's pie with fish. So I did crawfish and sunfish pie, uh, just, you know, fun stuff, easy stuff, quick and delicious and making it all up. And, uh, you know, really been concentrating on trying to use more foraged ingredients. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got deer and duck and pheasant and grouse and everything out in the freezer. Uh, but I was really going to try to, in the springtime here, focus solely on all those different uh, wild edibles that I could get out there. So, you know, again, we went out and got tons and tons of ramps. Uh, we got all the morels. We got uh, nettles galore. Uh, and trying to figure out how to use them. And then, uh, you know, the conifers started blossoming and growing. So really getting into the conifers this year and, you know, spruce tips, pine cones, and uh, made a pine cone jam with the little itty bitty baby red pine cones, uh, gathered eight pounds of the small green pine cones, mm-hmm. did a pine cone syrup, uh, doing the spruce tip syrup, the spruce tip bitters, uh, spruce tip ice cream, uh, if you, if you want to get a kick, uh, I made, uh, the spruce tip ice cream. And the first thing I thought, of course, was a cocktail. Uh, so I made a <laughs> spruce tip grasshopper. Uh, okay. What's, what's you know, a, what's, hold on. What's a, what's a spruce tip grasshopper? Okay. So a grasshopper cocktail, you know, the ice cream, creme de menthe, creme de cacao. Okay. So instead of vanilla ice cream, I just used the spruce tip, uh, the, you know, 
uh, creme de menthe, the creme de cacao, and then gin uh, in there as well. Uh, blended it all up into a nice smoothie and, you know, threw that bad dog down and enjoyed it. <laughs> nice. It sounds good. It sounds good. Yeah, it was refreshing. That's, that's good. I think that's important. Um, I did the spruce tip bitters too. I was telling you earlier. And so, um, I gathered, we, we gathered over a couple of weeks cause I did the spruce tip syrup. Uh, we did spruce tip jam and then the spruce tip bitters. So the spruce tip syrup still has got about a month left, I think. And then the, the bitters we were talking about. So I had the cardamom, allspice, um, ooh, what else? Uh, fennel, lemon peel i think that's it that's all i can see in there but yeah, yeah. I, it's good follow follow your direction in this uh lovely wild bitters book that uh that you gave oh, me wonderful yeah, yeah no that thing's uh i had it and then uh you gave me those the black walnut bitters uh at rendezvous and so i've been using that yeah. in uh that old-fashioned man oh man that's great yeah it's it tasty little cocktail I tell you one of the things out of that little, not little book to me in a demeaning way, but it's, you know, it's a few pages. Um, out of that. Yeah, it's a little the, book. Yeah, yeah. Out of the little book was the the maple simple syrup. Yeah. Uh, I never, you know, I never put two and two together to think to make that of, you know, you think simple syrup, you got to put it on the stove and like dissolve and do all that crazy stuff. Yeah. And then, you know. This is just taking water and mixing it with maple syrup. And it's just like, yeah, boom. just water it down a little bit. Yeah. You know? uh, if it's, you know, a good maple syrup is, you know, a little thicker. Uh, and if it's too thick, once it hits the ice, it won't dissolve. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like honey or any of the other. So if you just water it down a little bit, it dissolves faster. And yeah. I mean, here's a wild ingredient that most people use, a, you know, a lot <laughs> yeah. and don't even realize it. Yep. You know? Yep. Uh, and you know the syrups. That's it's just a whole whole other ball game out there. I mean, uh, the pine syrups, the pine cone syrups, the the spruce tip syrups. Uh, what kind of sugar are you using for your spruce tip? Um, I think I used a mixture of. I had some Florida. Was it tur? Turbarindo, I can never remember. Turbinado, turbinado syrup, yep. and then just some uh, regular brown, uh, sorry, brown sugar, and just some regular brown yeah. sugar, and just kind of did yeah. a half and half mix, because um, I wanted it to be a little more moist. And so yep. the turbarindo, man, I'm gonna butcher that five times. Uh, is is sometimes a little drier, so I wanted yeah. a little bit of moisture yeah, yeah, there. Yeah. But I, I followed. Uh, I followed the Forager Chef's recipe on that. Uh, Alan Burgo. Yeah. Good guy. Yeah. He was on the podcast a yeah. while ago, and, and we actually we talked about that recipe because I was very intrigued by it. And then moving to Colorado this year, or last year, this year was my first chance to gather the spruce tips because we got here too late last year. So uh, yeah. we've been all over. And, well, I think, and it's absolutely amazing Yeah, you know, yeah. How, how just adding sugar to a dry ingredient yeah. And then all the water that comes out of it. Yeah, it's you know, crazy. Uh, I've got a giant bucket of the pine cones out here. And when I'm done, I mean, I'm going to end up with a gallon of syrup. That's you know? wild. Uh, yeah, and I'm going to have plenty of it to go around. Uh, we were out this morning and went by the walnut trees, and they're all about yay big. So I'm going to get more of the walnut syrup and more of the walnut uh, candy 
uh, walnuts. So it's just, God, it's fascinating what you can do. Uh, and, you know, that candied walnut, nobody had had that before mm-hmm. uh, at Rendezvous. And everybody that had it, like, just didn't understand what it was. It. Yeah, yeah, it it was different. I had never had it. Um, yeah, it was co- oh, man. It was good, and then the bitters too. So let's go ahead. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about the the black walnut bitters. So that yeah. process for you, how did you go through preparing that? Because I know it wasn't just something like overnight. No, it really wasn't. Um, I uh, God, I can't even remember how many years ago it was. Uh, I was sitting out squirrel hunting and all these nuts kept falling. Uh, and I picked them up and I was, I, I didn't even know what the hell they were. Uh, and I ended up taking them home and looking them up. It was a shag bark hickory. Uh, and I was like, well, what the hell is that? Uh, so it's a bitter hickory nut. Uh, and I was like, well, what do you do with a bitter hickory? Uh, and I started researching a little bit and found, well, hey, bitters. Mm-hmm. And it made perfect sense. So uh, I went out, and of course, uh, everyone makes fun of me because when I when I get interested in something, I immediately buy a book. Uh, so uh, I've probably got 300 cookbooks out there now, and every time I get interested in something, I just go find a book. Sure. Uh, and then it, take in as much of it as I can. Well, in the bitters book, uh, it talks about what makes up a bitters, right? So you need a base alcohol. You need a bittering agent, you need flavoring agents, and you need a sweet. So in the, you know, the hickory nut, I had a flavoring agent and a bitter all in one. Uh, so I roasted those, soaked them in Everclear, uh, added a whole bunch of complementary flavors, uh, you know, clove and cardamom and allspice. Uh, I think I even put vanilla in that one uh, and tried it out and it was okay. It wasn't the best. Um, those bitter uh, hickory nuts were just overpoweringly bitter. Uh, so like my first batch I made, I think I used way too much uh, of the bittering agent. Because, I mean, anytime you put it in a cocktail, take a sip, your mouth would just go dry. Uh, and it was just too bitter. Uh, so I was like, okay, I got to figure something else out. But then, you know, we've got walnut trees all up and down the the grove here. And I was like, well, I bet, you know, walnuts have that same thing. So I was looking through and reading and in, in the bitters book, it actually talks about the, the black walnut leaves uh, okay. are a natural bittering agent. So I was like, Oh, well, I mean, I wouldn't even have to use the walnuts. Uh, so I've actually made two different batches uh, of the black walnut maple. One where I just use the leaves as the bittering agent. And then one where I just use the whole green walnuts. Uh, and I prefer the leaf because you can take the walnuts themselves, uh, shell them, take the walnuts out, roast those, and then use those as a flavoring agent and don't have to worry about using the whole green husk as your bittering agent. So you use the, the walnut leaves and then the roasted walnuts uh, and then God, I think I put cinnamon and cardamom and clove and uh, all those good aromatics in there. And then the sweetening agent, I, I had maple syrup from trees we tapped. And I was like, well, I'm going to use maple syrup to sweeten it. Uh, and then that one turned out much better. Uh, and I really, really enjoyed that one. 
so then I started experimenting on how to use it. And then I was like, well, what else? What else do I use a lot of that's out there? So I find piles and piles of wild plums. Uh, I love the birch. Birch trees are my favorite tree. Uh, there's different ways to use birch trees. When you start researching the birch, everything on there is edible. You know, uh, it's got uh, a form of acetosilic acid in it, uh, which is aspirin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it can, you know, be a pain reliever. It can, you know, the Native Americans use the leaves and the pods uh, to make teas. So I started making tea with it. And then my buddy's got all these birch trees on his property. So we started tapping birch trees uh, and making birch syrup. Uh, and birch syrup is really interesting. So I was like, well, okay, I need to make a birch bitters. Uh, and then go back to the book and find out that birch leaves are a natural bittering agent. So birch leaves, uh, the pods, a little bit of the bark, uh, boil that down uh, with the birch, you know, add the fennel, the cardamom, uh, the allspice and some lemon. Uh, and then to sweeten those, I use the birch syrup. Uh, and you get a, re- I mean, that birch, birch bitters is one of the more interesting things. Uh, and then from the birch bitters, I was like, well, how do you make a birch schnapps, uh, and Ooh, yeah. or birch liqueur? Uh, so then I got a look, uh, and there's, uh, already a birch liqueur on the market. It's called Burke, uh, but it's only available in Iceland. So I'm like, okay. So I, I, my family's always made something they call glug. Uh, and it's cinnamon, almond, cloves, cardamom, uh, allspice, uh, 191 proof Everclear, a little bit of sugar and some water. Uh, you boil it all together, throw a match in it, it goes kaboom, and then you bottle it up and you sip it. <laughs> so I was like, that basic process should be universal, uh-huh. right? Uh, Everclear, sugar, distilled water, uh, and then whatever you want to put in it. So I basically just recreated the birch uh, bitters. Uh, But I took like a pound uh, of leaves and bark and twigs and everything uh, and then boiled that in the Everclear and then added to that the fennel, the cardamom, the allspice, and the cloves, and then like two cups of birch syrup uh, and sweetened it all up. And what you ended up with was just this incredibly spicy, delicious, warm, very easy sipping, you know, birch liqueur. Uh, so, you know, it just, everything keeps building on everything. Uh, and every time I try something new, you know, uh, went out and picked elderflowers last year, made an elderflower uh, liqueur, uh, used that in a gin old fashion. This year, uh, I was out looking for morels uh, and there were lilacs everywhere. So I was like, well, shit, you can do it with, uh, elderflowers, why can't you do it with lilacs? Mm-hmm. So I just went and I stripped, you know, eight cups of lilac flowers, uh, packed them into a jar with 100 proof vodka, let them sit for a week, uh, drained it all, squeezed it all out, got everything out, added simple syrup to it until it tasted right. And then I've got a lilac liqueur. Oh, that's uh, cool. That lilac liqueur, you add that to the gin, uh, you get that lilac old fashioned uh, with a little bit of the rhubarb and sumac bitters. Uh, or you take that lilac liqueur. Uh, and one of the things that I've really enjoyed lately is these liqueurs, elderflower liqueur, violet liqueur, uh, the uh, lilac liqueur, all these different liqueurs. I just take hard cider and then add like an ounce of mm-hmm. that liqueur 
to a hard cider and then the floral and the apple just explode and you drink that and it's tasty summer cocktail. Wow. So I'll, I'm going to ask this for, for those that may not know, um, what's the difference in a bitter and a liqueur? So liqueur is just all sugar, you know, okay. it's a sweetened sugar. It's, it's meant to be a sweetened sippable drink. Uh, it doesn't have the bittering agents in it. So like, uh, I add dandelion root, burdock root, licorice root, some of these different roots to add that extra bitters to the bitters. Sure. Uh, I'll keep those out of the liqueurs. Okay. Okay. So like in the spruce tip bitters, the spruce tips are the bitters. Well, and in yours, it'll be the spruce tip and the lemon peel. And lemon peel. Because uh, the lemon peel has uh, a true. bittering agent to it as well. Cool. And how did people come about using bitters and stuff in cocktails? Uh, so, Peychaud's uh, and Angostura. Uh, think back to the original snake oil salesman. They are always making tinctures that were supposed to be healthy for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, they started selling these things as medis- medicines, and you would take little sips of them and drink them and enjoy them. Uh, and those things uh, then all of a sudden started getting mixed with alcohols Uh, and they would add them to the alcohol because that bitter note to the bitters takes some of the sharp bite off the alcohol. So uh, originally uh, when it all kind of started coming about, there was always alcohol and there was always bitters. And when they started mixing the two together, uh, you started to get bitters and you got alcohol. Then they found that if you diluted it with a little water and you cut it with a little sugar, you got a cocktail. Uh, and that was the original cocktail, uh, spirit, sugar, water, bitters. That was a cocktail. Uh, and it was called a cocktail. Uh, and when you went into a, an establishment, you ordered a cocktail, you ordered a gin cocktail or an aquavit cocktail or a, a bourbon cocktail or, you know, whatever kind of cocktail you wanted, but with whatever spirit, and that's how you ordered a cocktail. Uh, And then mid to late 1800s, fortified wines, uh, your vermouths and ports and uh, marsalas uh, started getting added to spirits. And that's where you got your Manhattans, your martinis, uh, and they they referred to these as improved cocktails. And then people started to confuse the two. So then when you wanted your original cocktail, you ordered an old-fashioned cocktail. Ah, uh, and, and your old fashioned then is spirits, water, bitter, sugar. Yeah, because now, now you think about when somebody says old fashioned, my mind just automatically goes to the whiskey drink. But I know it, it automatically goes there. Yep. Here you've mentioned several yep. times like the gin old fashioned. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I, so it's it's just saying that it's it's one of the traditional cocktails, which is the yes. The alcohol, the sugar, the water, and the bitters, right? And the bitters, yep. Perfect. So then, you know, if you, whatever spirit you enjoy, um, you can make an old-fashioned, you know. And uh, I I know, uh, if I remember correctly, you're a fan of Papa's Pilar. I am. Uh, <laughs> yes, yeah. I am. So, <laughs> so Papa's, uh, it's one of my favorite rums on the market, but uh, make a rum old-fashioned. Okay. Okay. Uh, now, if you think about the elements of a cocktail, spirits, bitters, sugar, water, uh, we, we don't typically use water as much today because we have ice, mm-hmm. and ice naturally dilutes. So 
We've got ice and we've got spirits. There's your rum and your ice. Now, what types of things could you use uh, for bitters and sugar? Uh, and if you if you think about a traditional rum drink, uh, falernum. Uh, are you familiar with falernum? I'm not. No. Okay. Well, it's a low alcohol, very sweet uh, liqueur that they use in a lot of tiki type cocktails. Okay. Uh, and falernum then has some natural bittering agents, ginger, and other flavors built right into it. So if you go two ounces of rum, half ounce of falernum, and an ice cube, you've got just it's a it's an old fashioned. It's it's just an old fashioned, but in the tiki world they call it corn and oil, and I don't know why they call it corn and oil, but huh. <laughs> I got it. I, but it's I'm, delicious. You just turned me, you just turned me on to a, a, a new cocktail here. I got to try this out now. Yeah, yeah, and and again, you know, rum uh, goes really well with maple syrup. So you've got black walnut maple bitters, you've got maple syrup, and you've got rum. You've got an old fashioned. Huh. Wow. That's crazy. <laughs> That's awesome. So, <laughs> oh man, now I'm gonna have to drink some rum old fashions. You know, I, I find myself yes. uh drinking more uh more bourbon and whiskey old fashions now that I'm more inland. I do miss the the island life of the rum drinks for sure. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, I, rum is just a staple of life. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's it's too good. Uh, <laughs> yes. Um, so as I was thinking about this, is there? So with a lot of foraging things, there's there's a seasonality to it. So we can't you can't always get certain things during certain times of year. We mentioned the uh, we mentioned spruce tips, which you know are available kind of this time of year. Um, is there like a a thought process or a plan overall throughout the year. There are other things you can forage like in the fall, if I'm in the deer woods or like in the winter time that you, you would recommend. Yeah, and that's, that's part of what I really enjoy about this. And again, I'm not, I'm not trying to make a living off this. So I just kind of get to enjoy it. Uh, but the seasonality of it, it, it makes it a little bit more interesting to me because I know that once I get, you know, once I get my spruce tip syrup made, that's going to last me for as long as I mm -hmm. want it to. But why make it last? You know, yeah. use it all right now. Enjoy it for a month and then move on to the next thing. Ooh, because like as, as summer goes on, you know, you're going to get more fruits. Mm -hmm. uh, the black cap raspberries, the choke cherries, uh, the mulberries. Uh, as these things start coming out, then all of a sudden I can switch from the syrups to shrubs. Uh, and shrubs are uh, a fruit, a sugar, uh, and then in addition to that, you get uh, the uh, uh, vinegar. Uh, so you you take you know two cups of black cap raspberries, throw a bunch of maple sugar on there, mash it up a little bit, let it macerate for a day, uh, put that in a strainer, strain out all the liquid, and then you add quarter cup of red wine vinegar to it. Uh, and that's what they used to do to preserve it. But then you take that shrub and you mix it with a little gin and some ice and you got a cocktail. Whoa. Whoa. That, uh, you just blew my mind on that one. Cause I hadn't heard of that. I was thinking you were talking about fruit and sugar and I'm like, all right, are you making like a, like a coulis or a, 
you know, something, but the, the vinegar edition and just using the liquid, I think that's super cool. Yeah. I think yeah. That's cool. Yeah. And shrubs are another thing. I mean, it's an old school thing. You know, uh, I was introduced to shrubs a few years ago. A buddy of mine had uh, a lime and coriander shrub that we were mixing into gin and uh, sparkling water. It makes a refreshing summer cocktail. So then I started researching shrubs. And yeah, shrubs are old. You know, shrubs are from way back in the day. Wow. Uh, they existed 300 years ago. That's just another way they preserved the, the fruits to use later. And you don't have to mix alcohol in them. You can take that shrub and you can mix it with just water or seltzer or sparkling water or whatever you want. Hmm. Uh, and it's good. That seems, yeah, seems super refreshing for summer. And then thinking about fall, yeah. what what would you lean towards in the fall? Well, you know, fall you start getting the wild plums. Uh, so you can do it with the plums. Um, you know, uh, as fall comes in, you know, those walnuts – when they start falling, you can start harvesting the walnuts. You get more of your nuts in the fall uh, to use those more. Uh, the sumac will come late summer. Um, you know, birch, there's a second blossom uh, with birch trees where the seed pods come later in the fall, uh, right before they start losing their leaves. Uh, the barks, uh, you know, the birch bark is interesting because there's multiple layers of birch bark. Uh, and the outer paper part, you get rid of that and get into the inner part. There's a separate bark. It's about a quarter inch thick. That bark can then be dried and ground up and it's got all those flavors in it, but it can also be used as a flour, uh, hmm. to make, you know, cookies and breads and Ooh, that sounds hopefully this year too. tacos. Tacos. <laughs> Ooh, sign, sign me up for that taste test. <laughs> yeah. Um, what else was I, I going to ask? So, man, you got you got quite the foraging plan for going forward. It's awesome. Well, and, you know, that's another thing. As you get into it and you understand the seasonality of it, then, you know, every month you can go get something different. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, you get to experience a different thing. Yeah, I think one of the problems with the American food system is we've all gotten very, very used to getting whatever we want all the time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, you know. This is this is sort of the old school way of thinking, you know. You eat tomatoes when tomatoes are on the vine. Yeah, yeah you know. Yeah, <laughs> you eat squash in the fall when they're ready. And, I, uh, you know, you pickle what you can because you know in the winter you're screwed. I think about that. So my, uh, you know, we lived in Key West for a while, and and mangoes. There's like uh, two mango seasons in the well. There's there's two block. There's one big block of it, but you get like you have your your uh, ones that ripen early and you have your ones that ripen late. And there's kind of like this weird time in between where you may get some stragglers, but nothing's really, really ripening. And it's usually like, uh, late April through usually like mid June. So like now is kind of wrapping up, but everything kind of goes at the beginning of the season. But my father-in-law loves mangoes. Uh, he he's, he's originally from Haiti and he absolutely loves them. So anytime he comes down, He's like, hey, let's go get mangoes. And we had friends that had tons of mangoes trees. And, like, we'd always have to go through this of, like, there's no mangoes right now. And he'd be like, what do you mean there's no mangoes? Like, I can go to the store and buy them. I'm like, well, yeah, those are, like, frozen mangoes from, like, Mexico from, like, last season yeah. or from earlier this year. And uh, I, I think you're 100% on that. Like, people are just like, I need it now. I need it now. I want it now. It's at the store. I'll go get it. But 
it's not a it's not at its freshest or its best and and i think living by that seasonalities there's some uh you know i would say originality to that for us as humans too yeah yeah and i mean we see it every year with morels Mm -hmm. there's a reason i don't want to create a problem but morels are good but they're not the greatest tasting mushroom on the face of the earth Uh, but people love them because there's only a limited amount of time you can get them. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm, I'm curious to see what happens in the next few years because, uh, apparently there's a a Dutch engineer, uh, that has figured out how to cultivate morels. I've heard that. Uh, There's, there's also some conspiracies out there that past creators of cultivating morels have mysteriously fallen ill or had accidents. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't doubt it. Wouldn't Uh, surprise me. I hope, I hope his health is intact and it's not, uh, he doesn't get attacked by big mushroom. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, you know, if, if that ends up being true, uh, and he's figured out a way to, uh, cultivate them, you know, if morels do become readily available all the time and inexpensive, uh, I, I don't know that we'll see it in the next 10 years. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, someday, if that were to happen, I'd be surprised if morels continue to stay popular. Well, yeah, and I mean, you look at, I hate to say it, but a lot of stores that carry like the kind of standard white cap mushrooms, it's just like... yeah. They've got no flavor. There's nothing exciting about them, but I know that they're no. probably quick growing, easy to produce, and it's like I can throw them in there and they're going to take on whatever flavor I want. And, uh, you know, that's another unfortunate part of the evolution of taste, uh, you know, for a lot of folks is like things aren't tasting what they're meant to be tasting like from the, from the store. And I think that seeking out those wild ingredients, like for cocktails or for, you know, wild game recipes, fish recipes, like, that's that's it yeah yeah and you know it's one of the things that i i maybe a criticism i have uh of many of the uh wild game recipes uh i see these days uh you you get a lot of wild game recipes that are one ingredient you know Mm -hmm. so you you know you're making a, a double cheeseburger but you used elk for it but you didn't do anything else, yeah. you know, uh, and there's other ways to incorporate wild ingredients into the dish. Uh, and anytime I make a, a dish, I'm trying to add as many wild ingredients to it as possible. You know, that fish pie I made, you know, I've got crayfish and I've got sunfish. And then I, instead of using spinach, I use nettles. Uh, and, you know, already I'm three ingredients into it, but then, you know, I use a fish stock and I, you know, just keep layering those wild ingredients on things. And, you know, then you, you, you pick up, you know, whichever one of your rags you want to read uh, and they're selling a wild game recipe. Uh, and it's like, okay, so you use, you know, ground venison uh, and nothing else. Mm-hmm. You know, we, 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 we need to be a little bit more creative. Uh, or at least yeah. I feel that. I, no, I I agree with you. I mean, I'm I'll admit I'm guilty of it, but uh, <laughs> no, I think we're all we're yeah. we're all guilty of it. You know, we all we all find ourselves doing it, and there's nothing wrong with it. But you know, I I look at you know, say pheasants forever or uh, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, and they're there's they're they're putting a recipe for wild foods, 
that they clearly are paying for, I, I would just expect more. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. And I think maybe that's a personal challenge. Like, uh, we should all take is is sort of those voices in the wild food world is like let's get let's get more into it. Let's uh yeah. we we've now started to inspire more people to cook wild game. Like let's uh let's inspire people to cook to add more wild ingredients to their wild meals. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You know, uh tacos are delicious, but I got to tell you tacos with a gooseberry salsa are better. Yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. So well, Jamie, I, I've, I've, I've loved chatting with you, man. Um, unfortunately, I think we're running down on time. What's the best way for people okay. to connect with you if they've got some some questions or uh, they want to reach out? Uh, you know, I really I primarily focus all my energies on Instagram. Uh, so uh, at Jamie Carlson Cooks, I believe it is. Uh, Jamie underscore Carlson underscore Cooks. Uh, and, you know, you can always reach out to the Modern Carnivore platform and he'd always direct you in the right way. Uh, I'm not hard to get hold of. You know, anybody who wants to reach out, please do. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty easy going and, uh, there's always fun stuff to talk about. Awesome. Yeah, no, super stoked. So, uh, we kind of reserved the last few minutes. Uh, if you've got a last thought, idea, concept, anything you want to leave the listeners with, like this would be the time. If not, it's okay. Um, you know, uh, I'll say this, uh, the pandemic's really, uh, pushed people more towards the outdoors. A lot of people that weren't there are now going there. And a lot of people that were kind of there are more there. Uh, and with that, we, we need to be better stewards of our lands and we need to take care of what we've got out there. You know, uh, I'm here in Minnesota. I love my Minnesota. Uh, I love the boundary waters. Uh, there was increased traffic last year. There were all sorts of problems. Uh, if you're going out there, just pick up after yourself, leave it as you found it. You know, uh, it's there for all of us to use, uh, and let's just continue to use it well. Yeah. Well said. Thank you. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, I, I really enjoy the conversation. Um, you know, when, when we started chatting there, uh, this second go around at rendezvous, I was like, we got to talk, talk about some wild cocktails and, and I'm glad oh, yeah. we, uh, I'm glad we, we found the time to do that. And, uh, you know, I really enjoyed, I mean, you've inspired me to, to dive into that world and, uh, I, I'm excited to see the benefits and share the benefits with others of, of all these various, uh, bitters and syrups and now shrubs, uh, that I'm going to yes. go dabble yeah. in. So, um, super excited for what's to come, but, uh, I, I thank everybody out there too for listening and uh, I'll, I'll take all these links and show notes. There were some recipes that uh, Jamie mentioned that are over at uh, Modern Carnivore and uh, make sure that uh, his social links and uh, the Modern Carnivore social links are in there. And once you go follow those guys, make sure you're, you're following Harvesting Nature too as well so you can stay up to date with what's going on with us. And then uh, a- after that, uh, whatever podcast platform you're listening to, please punch that five-star button, leave us a review. Tell us what we're doing wrong or, you know, tell us what we're doing right. Thanks, everybody. Have a good night.